Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Everybody with us today. Thanks to everybody watching online, joining us there as well. It's good to be in God's house with everybody today. Today we are in part two of our series of promise and prophets. And I want to just start off by giving a huge shout out and a major kudos to Pastor Brenda for filling in for me last week. Uh, it's always nice to have a seasoned veteran in the bullpen to be able to go to to just you know make the call to the bullpen. Pastor Brenda stepped up. Big time last week. I, I want to thank everybody for your prayers. I got like crazy, crazy sick uh, Thanksgiving uh, night. Uh, all of a sudden had a real bad uh, stomach virus. Thought it might have been food poisoning, but since I was the only one who was sick, figured that couldn't be it. Um, but I was, I was in some pretty rough shape uh, all the way until uh, Monday. So Pastor Brenda valiantly stepped in and delivered uh, a good word Last week, it was funny, whenever I came back in uh, to work on Tuesday, I was talking to the staff about it and uh, explaining what I went through. <laughs> uh, and Bruce Oberlin on staff, he was like, man, now that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. You fill yourself up on Thanksgiving and then just empty yourself out completely and utterly on Thanksgiving night. I'm like, yeah, I mean, if I could have planned that, I mean, it, it was good, right? I, I came out the next day, I weighed less. That's got to be like a first in Thanksgiving history, right? Uh, but for real, thank you guys for your prayers. Uh, it means the world that everyone was concerned. I, I really appreciate it. But hey, we are here in uh, part two of this series today uh, uh, looking at hope, right? That's what the Christmas season is really about. The Christmas season is about hope, hope that God's promise uh, will come to fruition, God's promise of new life, God's promise of deliverance. Uh, and what we've been looking at is how God has raised up men and women over the centuries to kind of keep us pointed, to keep us on path, pointing back to the promises that he has made, these promises of a redeemer, of new life, of deliverance. Uh, and so last week, Pastor Brenda preached on the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah and the, the promise that he pointed to of the fact that we would have a God who is with us, that we have a God who is Emmanuel, literally meaning God is with us. And that's the kind of God that we need, right? We, we need a God who is with us. Uh, we need a God who is faithful to his word, a God who is faithful to his promise, because we live in a world where people are constantly breaking promises, Right? We live in a world where people are constantly falling short of the things that they said they were going to do. People constantly over-promise over and under-deliver, right? God's not that way, though. God is a God who is with us, and he is truly with us all the way through everything we experience in our life. And so we can take great hope in that, that we have a God who is with us, a God who keeps his word, a God who is yes and amen, but I'm going to take that a step further today because, yes, we need hope in the fact that there is a God who is with us, but I would wager we need more than that. We need a God who isn't just with us. We need a God who is in us, right? We need a God who is actively at work in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, transforming us every single day. We need a God who is in us. I know I need a God who is in me because I am abundantly aware of how inadequate I am. Can I get an amen? <laughs> like, I know I constantly am falling short. I know I constantly am not living up to expectations that I even set for myself, 
Like, I'm just, I'm constantly not living up to it. Um, and I, I every now and then have these moments where I'm reminded of how inadequate I am. Uh, anybody ever have the, those moments where you're like, oh, shoot, I really can't do this, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've had a few of those moments, and they, they feel like this. I'm going to give you an illustration uh, of one that I had. I, I told this story a few years back, but it's so humiliating, I just have to bring it up every now and then to keep myself nice and humble, right? Just, you've got to have a few humiliating stories every now and then, uh, so I used to think that I possibly could be a good singer. Used to think that. Um, <laughs> you know how it is. You're in the, the shower, you're in the car, and you're like, shoot, that actually kind of slaps. Like, that sounds pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not too shabby. Like, this isn't too bad. Maybe I missed a career somewhere. Maybe I should be leading worship up here, you know? So um, one day, and this is, so, this is so embarrassing, this is so cringy, I recorded myself on my phone. I can, like, you know how people can remember where they were with, like, big moments in history? I can remember where I was when this happened. This will tell you how big of an imprint this left on me. I was getting ready to turn on the highway right by Sheets, where Sheets intersects with uh, Waterloo and Main Street. Getting ready to turn on the highway. And I'm like, man, I sound good. Let Let me just try this real quick. So I recorded myself on a voice memo on my phone. I kid you not. When I hit play on it, that thing, I let it play for less than a second. It was like, nope, nope, delete, delete. Threw my phone out the car, set it on fire, went home, took a shower, tried to clean myself up. It was, it was so embarrassing, right? And in that moment, in that moment when I played it back and I heard my voice, I'm like, yeah, that, that ain't it. Like, it's bad. <laughs> Whatever adequacy I thought I had, I don't. <laughs> However good I thought I was, I'm not. Like, it's just, it's not there. And in so many ways in life, that has happened to me. When I think that, like, man, I, I've got this covered. Like, God, can, he can just kind of go in the back seat on this one because I've got this thing handled. I, I, I'm, I'm adequate enough to handle this. I can figure this out on my own. I realize, yeah, that ain't it. <laughs> that ain't it. You're not as good as you thought you are. You're not as, as in control of things as you thought you may be. I have had those moments. And it does help. It it reminds you that you need to rely on God. But here's where something scary happens, and this is what we're going to talk about today. It's good to be reminded that you're not enough because you're not. I'm not either. That's a good thing, something that we need reminded of. But we can take it too far. We love taking things too far, don't we? (laughs) We we can take it too far, and we can go to a place where we're not just realizing, yes, I need to rely on God. We go to a completely messed up place just wrong place where we feel like we are so inadequate, we're so insignificant, things we do don't really have purpose to them, no one even notices us anyways. Have you been there? Have you been there? Right? Where where you just feel so small. You feel like what you're doing isn't really making a difference. That's a bad place to be. That's a scary place to be because I will tell you this, when you believe dumb things about yourself, you will do dumb things. The the more that you believe dumb things about yourself, the more dumb things you will do because you will start to self-sabotage. When when you think that way, whenever you think, I'm never gonna get over this porn addiction, it's just not gonna happen, you give into it easier the next time. Whenever you think, I'm never gonna get to the the physical health and the shape that I know I need to be to, to live a long life for my family and do everything I can, once you start to believe those things, you believe those dumb things about yourself, you give in to it easier the next time. It's self-sabotage. It leads to habitual sins. 
leads to dysfunctional habits, to unhealthy relationships. We do dumb things if we believe dumb things about ourselves. So if that is you today, if you are someone coming in here, someone watching online, and you feel superiorly inadequate, you feel completely insignificant, you feel like the stuff that you do, no one notices it, you just kind of feel like it's, it's not really making a difference and not making a point, I want to let you know God has a word for you today, and not just a word, God has a promise for you today. God has a promise. You are right. You're not enough. I'm not either. I'm not either. Apart from God, you can do nothing, but that's the great news of the gospel. You are not apart from him anymore. You put your faith and trust in Jesus, the blood can be applied to your heart, and if you allow that to happen, you're not apart from God anymore. So the whole, I I can't do anything apart from him, that's absolutely right, and you don't have to be apart from him anymore. What we're going to do, we're going to look at three different portions of scripture today, three different portions, and we're just going to destroy the lies that the enemy tells us. We're just going to destroy them, take them out one by one, the lie that we're not good enough, the lie that what we do is insignificant and small, that no one notices us, that God couldn't possibly use us to make a difference in the world. Those are all lies from the enemy, and they should be treated as such. So what we're going to look at is the truth from scripture, and we're going to start with the prophet Micah. He's the prophet that we're looking at today. If you have your Bible and want to follow along, we're going to be in Micah chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 4. Now, Micah is uh, an incredible man of God, a prophet that God had raised up to preach truth, to proclaim uh, uh, things that were to come, things that were to pass. And one of the things that Micah did is he predicted, he, he was given this prophecy of where Jesus, where Israel's Messiah would be born, the location of his birth. And that's where we pick up in Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is what Micah says. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth incredible prophecy. You have to keep in mind, Micah made this prophecy about Jesus's location of his birth hundreds of years before Jesus would be born. He called his shot. <laughs> He's like, Jesus, the, the, the Messiah, the, the ruler of Israel is going to be born in Bethlehem, this small little city. Now, this is an amazing prophecy because Bethlehem was a very small city. Very little. At this time, the estimated world population at the time of Jesus' birth was around 300 million people. That's less than how many people just live in the United States right now. But that was the estimated world population at the time of Jesus' birth. The Roman Empire, they suspect, had about 45 million people who lived as subjects of the Roman Empire. The city of Bethlehem had a population, historians suspect, of around 300 people. 300. Not 300,000. 300. <laughs> that means our church, on average, we're, we're right now, we're at about 621 people. That's our running average. Our church is two times bigger than the city of Bethlehem at the time of Jesus. Think about that for a second. We are talking small, small, little city. You want to talk about insignificant. 
You want to talk about inadequate. You want to talk about unimportant. That was Bethlehem. In fact, at this time, when Jesus is getting ready to be born, what Bethlehem is best known for is the birthplace of King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. But even David left. <laughs> David left Bethlehem. He didn't stay. He's like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> like, it's known for nothing. It's just this tiny, little, small, insignificant town. But you see, what we see in Scripture that's true about Bethlehem is true for you and it is true for me, and that's that our size doesn't determine our significance. Our size doesn't get to determine our significance. Uh, again, in Micah, two, uh, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come the one who will be ruler over Israel. So it doesn't matter that Bethlehem's small. It doesn't matter that it's this tiny little town. It's the smallest out of all the clans of Judah. It doesn't matter because size doesn't determine significance. We know this to be true. We see it at work in technology. You, I mean, you can just look back at, uh, you know, old TVs. Old televisions used to be pieces of furniture. They used to build wooden, like, beautiful things around a TV because it was so massive. They're like, we have to make this somewhat appealing to be in a room, right? So we got to build things around it. It was absolutely huge. Uh, the, the, compu the computers that sent the men to the moon, I mean, these things took up entire rooms at entire large facilities. The computers were that big. They were that large in size and in scope. Uh, video cameras, old school video cameras. Man, those things were gigantic, right? Nowadays, you're looking at uh, uh, commercials on TV, like the new iPhone commercials. I mean, they're shot with an iPhone. The commercial is made on the iPhone. It's incredible. In fact, all those things I just mentioned, TVs, computers, camcorders, all those, they're all on your phone now. All of them. <laughs> all these things that used to take up ton of space, ton of room, all now fit in your phone. In fact, there's a, a, a meme that goes around every now and then where it will show an ad from Radio Shack from like back in like the early 90s, and it will show on the front page like 17 different items that are for sale, and they're all huge, just these massive things. And the caption says, everything on this page now exists in your phone. Like all of these gigantic things. <laughs> but you see, the size doesn't matter. The size doesn't determine the significance of, of these things because our phone, our small little slim phones, have all of that power. They have all of that computing power, all that photography power, all that videography power. They have everything, and that's because size does not determine your significance. It's what's inside that matters. It's what's inside that determines the significance, and so for us, it's what's inside our life. It's not all the external things. It's not how big your 401k is. It's not how big your house is. It's not what school your kids go to. It's not how great you're doing at your job. All those things, awesome. That's great. They do not get to determine your significance. They don't. The size and the scope of your life is not determined by all of these external things. It's determined by what is going on on the inside. What's the spirit doing inside of you? That is what leads to significance. Your significance needs to be determined by the holiness that the Spirit is cultivating in your life. Your significance needs to be determined by the sanctification process that God is working in you, making you more and more into the image of Jesus. That is what matters. That is what lasts. That's what you want your legacy to be about. That's what's truly significant in life. So the size of your life does not get to determine your significance. Not your career, not the size of your house, not the size of your family, only Jesus. Only Jesus. 
You see, size doesn't get to determine significance, and it shouldn't because size doesn't tell the whole story, does it? The size of your life, it never tells the whole story. People's lives can look really, really good, really, really big, really, really awesome, but you don't know what's really going on, do you? We don't really know that because the size doesn't tell the whole story. You know how many people tell Pastor Brenda they wish they could be her? Especially, that, man, we've had so many women in the church over the years who are like, man, Pastor Brenda, I just, I admire you so much. And she's someone to admire. I'm going to brag on her for a little bit. She's someone to admire. She's an incredible pastor. She's pastored this church faithfully for over two decades. Faithful, faithful pastor. She's a, I feel like a lot of times you can take for granted what you have when you have it. She's a, an internationally sought-after speaker. She's spoken at conferences on multiple continents. She's written a few books. She's written a children's book. She's done all of these incredible, awesome, amazing things. And so people see that. They see the size of the story, and they go, man, I wish I could be like you, Pastor Brenda. I wish I could have the influence you have. I wish I could be in life where you are in life. And if they could just get a peek behind the curtain, they probably wouldn't want it. Because <laughs> there's a lot of pain that led to that. There's a lot of crushing that led to that. There's a lot of trials and tribulations and heartaches and losses that led to that because size doesn't tell the whole story. You only see a part of it. You only see a part of it. Size does not tell the whole story. There is a lot more at play. You see, what God seems to bring in a moment is actually what God has been building over time. A lot of times it looks like God is just doing something in a moment. Man, God really moved in that moment, didn't he? Man, can you believe what God's doing right here in this moment? Man, God's been at work. <laughs> you didn't know it. You didn't notice it. You weren't looking for it. But God has been doing something. It may look like Pastor Brenda was an overnight success. Nothing was handed to her. She had to work for it. She had to trust God with it. She had to be faithful. Everything that looks like it just happens in a moment, God has been building and doing over time. In this moment when Jesus was born, it looked like, whoa, big moment for the city of Bethlehem, right? Like, that's a, you're going to want to put that one on the tourism packet, like the God born here. Like, that's a, that's a big deal, right? Seems like it was an overnight success, but God had been doing little things. And I got to tell you, if you're not reading scripture, get into the word, man. Get on version. get a Bible app that has a reading plan, allow it to take you through scripture. There's such incredible stuff. And when you read in the Old Testament, you'll see all of these signposts, all of these markers that are pointing to God doing something big in the city of Bethlehem, even when it doesn't look like it. Even when it's still this small little country, uh, a city in the hills, right? It's just this tiny little insignificant town, but God is doing something. He's prepping something, and you can see it time and time again. You see it in the life of the patriarchs, and you see it in David's life, and all these markers saying, hey, something big's happening in Bethlehem. It doesn't look like it yet. You may not notice it yet, but something big is happening. That's because what God seems to bring in a moment is actually what God has been building over time. He's been building it over time. Micah 5.2 again says that out of Bethlehem will come a ruler whose origins are from old, whose origins are from ancient times. God had been working in the city of Bethlehem. He had been preparing it and getting it ready behind the scenes. God was building something over the years. That's true with Bethlehem, and that is true with you, and that is true with me. God is at work. Even when it looks small, even when it looks insignificant, even when it looks like no one else is noticing, God is doing something. He is prepping something. He is 
working. We've, Cornerstone, we've seen that happen. <laughs> we've seen it happen in our own church history. Th- this great church that's, that's affecting multiple communities and, and impacting the, the world for Jesus and advancing the kingdom of God, this church started as tiny little Cornerstone Church on Belle Isle Drive, like years ago. Tiny little church that grew and grew and then went to 578 Killian Road and grew and grew and then went to Coventry Elementary School. And then now we are here at uh, 2445 South Arlington. And it's just that, that constant trust in God, that constant faithfulness in him, little bit by little bit over time, there, there's no such thing as an overnight success. So whenever you're, you're feeling sad because it feels like things are inadequate, you feel like you're not measuring up, remember, man, God, God doesn't just do things in a moment. He builds things over time. Just give it time. Continue trusting in him. Continue putting your faith in him. We've talked about this so much here at Cornerstone. It's something we constantly say over and over again. Outcome is not your responsibility. Obedience is your responsibility. Outcome is God's responsibility. The size and the scope of your life, the significance of your life, that, that's God's stuff. That is above your pay grade. It's above my pay grade. Our job is to obey. Our job is to just say yes Lord, and follow his instructions. Our job is not outcome. Our job is obedience. And here is the thing that scripture promises time and time again. If you and I, if we focus on faithfulness, God will take care of fruitfulness. If we focus on being faithful to him, he will take care of the fruit of our lives. We don't have to worry about it. We're not on the hook for it anymore. I, I, don't, I don't lie awake at, at night just worried about the fate of Cornerstone Church. Are we going to grow? Are, is the building going to happen? Man, I just worry about being faithful to God and leaving all of those outcomes to him because I don't decide them anyways. Neither does Pastor Brenda. Neither does Pastor Donnie. Neither does anybody on the staff. Nobody here determines those except God himself. And if we focus on our faithfulness, God will take care of the fruitfulness. He'll take care of it. We, we see that. We, we, we get this mixed up all the time. Even good people get this mixed up, right? We, uh, we're talking about King David this morning. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's whenever King David is actually getting anointed as king, as the next king of Israel, uh, a prophet Samuel, a, a man of God who's this incredible man. He hears from God. He's sent to go anoint David. And whenever he gets to David's family's house, and he sees all of David's other brothers. He's looking at the, the tallest ones, the most muscular ones, the most handsome ones, and he's saying, okay, that, that guy's going to be the next king, right? N- not him? Okay. Then that one. <laughs> then that one, right? Like, it's, it's got to be these ones. And eventually, God has to, like, slap him around a little bit. <laughs> God, God essentially tells Samuel, he says in uh, verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16, he says, do not consider his height or his appearance. I have rejected him. Samuel, stop it. Stop looking at all those, these outside things that show, oh, he's adequate enough. He's significant enough. He, look, he fits the type. Stop looking at those things. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. We are constantly looking at the wrong things. Not just in other people, but in ourselves. We are constantly looking at the wrong things in our life and using that as our measure of success. Is my life big enough? Am I doing good enough at work? Are all of these indicators hitting the right levels? And if they're not, my life isn't that purposeful. My life isn't hitting what I thought it should be at. We constantly are working at the wrong things. God does not want us to worry about the fruit. He wants us to worry about being faithful. 
That is what is in our control. That's the only thing that is in our control is being faithful and leaving the fruitfulness to him, letting him take care of the rest. We just, we are as faithful as we can be with the information we are given and we leave the rest to him. That's it. I was reminded of this as uh, me and my wife, Jessica, we love watching uh, like the baking shows, the, you know, on everything on Food Network. Is anyone else? Yeah, but they're on TV for a reason. Some of y'all are watching them like they get ratings, right? Um, I love watching those things, especially the holiday-themed ones like Halloween Wars and Halloween Baking Championship. Now we're watching Holiday, uh, holiday Baking Championship. It's so much fun. We, we love watching those shows. And so we're watching it, and it's really it's fun for me to watch it because, like, it's such a foreign land to me. Like, I, I can't even imagine being that good at that because I'm such a terrible cook. And to an wor- even worse degree, baker, like whenever I've attempted it, it's, it's been bad. I'm as bad of a baker as I am a singer, if that'll tell you anything, right? Like it's, it's bad. Um, and it kind of hit me the other day why I'm so bad at it. So we're watching it, and one of, the, uh, one of the bakers is explaining how baking really is just science. It's just science. And it clicks. I'm like, <laughs> I'm terrible at science. <laughs> That's, I'm terrible. And it, it's science and mathematics. Awful, just absolutely awful at those. I'm like, well, this is all suddenly, I'm having an epiphany right now. Like, this is why I'm so, so bad at it. And as she's explaining it, it's hitting me. I'm like, that is, that's exactly what baking is. You have to have very certain ingredients, right? Very certain specific amounts of those ingredients. You have to follow this recipe. You have to, you know, put all the dry stuff in one bowl and all the wet stuff in the other bowl and mix it in a very certain way and make sure you fold it together at a certain temperature and don't let it get too hot or too cold and all this different stuff. And then you want to make sure you preheat the oven. It needs to be this kind of oven, not that kind of oven. And you want all of these specifics and all of these little things. And if you follow them just right, you put it in, and then it's out of your control. Like, they don't do anything else. They'll put it in. You'll be watching the shows. They're like, hope it turns out. <laughs> You're like, hope? Like, you hope it turns out? That's, that's crazy, right? But it's because they realize there are certain things just out of their control. But what they can control is they will be as faithful to that recipe as they can possibly be. They're going to follow it to the T. They're, they're going to be faithful and make sure that they do their part and just trust that this oven, trust that these ingredients, that everything works together to make the process a success. You see what I'm getting at? The same thing is true for you, and the same thing is true for me. The same thing is true in our life and our walk with God. There are only certain things you can control. You cannot control the significance of your life. You cannot control the, the, the outcome and the impact that your life makes. You cannot control that. That's what happens in the oven. You don't get to control that part. What you do get to control is how faithful you are to the recipe. What you do get to control is how faithful you are to what you know God has called you to do. You, you say, you know what? I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to be in scripture. I'm going to be walking in the spirit. I'm going to do everything that this recipe calls for so I can live a faithful life and trust that the rest will work out. I can just trust that the rest will work out because that is the only thing you can control is your faithfulness. The fruit, that is all from God. Control what you can control. And in my experience, I can just tell you this, in my experience, it's a relief that the significance of my life is not up to me. Thank you, Jesus, that it's not up to me because I would screw it up. I'm not that good of a person. I get selfish. 
I, I can look out for my own interests. I'm not that good of a person. I don't want to have the success, the long-lasting legacy of my life resting on my shoulders. Thank God it doesn't. Thank God it doesn't. Thank God that the significance of my life is not mine to control. Thank God that my significance doesn't start with me. It starts with him. It starts with God. Listen to this. I, I love this. This is the Apostle Paul. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul just kind of reminding everybody, not just the Corinthian church, but he's reminding us today as well where we were when Jesus found us. Listen to this. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were when you were called. Think of who you were when Jesus found you. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Paul's saying, man, don't forget where you were when Jesus found you. Don't, don't, don't start to think that you're more than you are. Remember how much you rely on him. Remember how much you need him. Remember that your inadequacies and your insecurities are supposed to drive you to him. Not further into those. No, no, that's, that's the devil's territory. Run to Jesus with those things, and he can use them for good. Remember where you were. I, I remember um, whenever I was, like, early 20s, I got a job offer from, uh, whenever we were still a part of the Free Methodist denomination, I got a job offer to become the associate pastor at Galleon Free Methodist Church. Uh, pastor Paul Walter is an awesome guy, family friend. Um, and he, he wanted me to be his associate pastor. And it was like a huge, huge honor because I, I, was, I was in my early 20s. I'm like, man, are, are you sure? <laughs> are you, I don't know if you know what you're asking right now. Um, but he, he asked me to do that. And it was, I mean, you know, just a really, really kind thing, really big honor. Um, and I remember thinking on it. I'm like, why in the world would he ask me? Like, I haven't led anything. Like, I, I haven't done anything uh, and it started to hit me, and I'm, please understand, I'm not, like, trying to tear myself down or anything like that, um, but I started to realize, you know what, this isn't so much about me as it is about my parents. You see, Paul knows my mom and dad, and he knows how faithful of pastors they are, what fantastic leaders they have been, that they've led with integrity, that they're trustworthy, that they're kind. He knows all those things about my parents, and so if my parents vouched for me, which they did, he knew he could take it to the bank. See, my significance wasn't resting on how great I was. Oh, he must have heard that I was tearing it up here at Cornerstone. And so he, he decided to make a sweetheart offer to steal me away. That's not what was going down. <laughs> That's not what was going down. But because of what my parents said about me, because of the significance that they gave me, I got a job offer. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Like, I didn't do anything. But what my parents said made all the difference. Your significance does not start with you. It shouldn't. <laughs> if you're finding your significance within what you're doing, I want to tell you, you need to change that quick because you're heading for a fall. You're heading for some humble pie. I don't know when it's coming, but it comes. It comes for everybody. It comes from everybody. Don't find your significance in yourself. Your significance is not supposed to start with you. It's supposed to start and end with Jesus. It's supposed to start and end with God. And you want it that way. You don't want to be in charge of the significance of your life. You don't want that. And here's why you don't want that. Because the fact is that 
shortcomings in life can't steal the significance that you have because you didn't earn it. (laughs) You see, if you would have earned the significance in your life, that means you can lose the significance in your life. That if your smart decisions and the, 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 the great way that you've decided to live, if that's what gives you significance, man, one bad choice, one bad decision, one shortcoming, one mistake, and it's all gone. It's all gone. But if your significance is tied to something you didn't earn, if your significance is tied to something that someone just gave you, you can never lose it. Because your significance is in something completely other. (laughs) It's in something you cannot possibly lose. You did nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to lose it. I mean, my kids, my kids know that whenever... Whenever we get them stuff, whenever we get them gifts, whenever we buy them stuff, they're not lying awake at night afraid of, man, is dad going to take this away tomorrow? Well, what's going to happen? I man, I hope, hope that toy's still downstairs. Like, ooh, I don't know. They're not worried about that because it's a gift. They didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't give this to them saying, better keep those grades up. You, you want to see that bunny again? <laughs> Better keep the grades up, right? You want, you want us to take Teddy back to the, the dog shop, but then you better keep your grades. Like, we're not, we're not doing that to our kids. They know it's a gift. And because it's a gift, they have security. They have security. They know nothing they can do can shake it. They know nothing they can say can shake it because they know that the significance, they know that the gift is not predicated on how great they are, but that they have parents who love them. That's where your significance needs to be tied. And when it is, you will realize, man, even the shortcomings in my life can't steal my significance because I did nothing to earn it, so I can do nothing to lose it. In our closing moments, I, I have one, one last note. I literally just scribbled this in on my notes this morning as I was reading back over the scriptures for today. It's something that just kind of uh, uh, hit me this morning as I was thinking about the fact that we're, we're talking about Micah and, and his prophecy of, of Jesus coming out of Bethlehem. And we're singing, Robbie um, killed that song, <laughs> a little town of Bethlehem, just so, so good. Um, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, man, all, all this stuff, we, we talk about Bethlehem, we sing about Bethlehem, we you know, have songs, we have books written about it, all this different stuff. Me and my kids, we just watched uh, the Christmas Chronicles 2 again last night, and they talk about the star of Bethlehem in it, and just all these references. Even people you talk to who have no background in the church, no background in Christianity or faith, would be able to recognize what Bethlehem is. Like, oh yeah, that's where Jesus was born. Like, I, I know that. Bethlehem has stood the test of time. Bethlehem is, has got, like, name recognition out the wazoo, all of this different stuff, and yet it was a town of 300 people Never had any, like, military power. Never had a moment where it was, like, a really booming, bustling city and metropolis, and then it kind of fell off. No, it never had any of that. You see, we remember Bethlehem today not because of its own glories, not because of its own significance, not because of what it was able to achieve as a city on its own. We remember Bethlehem because of what God did in that city. That's why we remember Bethlehem. That's why we have songs about Bethlehem. That's why the city even matters today, not because of its own merit, but because of what God did in it. May the same be true of me, that at the end of my life, people aren't remembering Jacob Young because, man, I I was such a good speaker. 
I was such a good speaker, and I did this so good, and I did that so good. No, no, no. At the end of my life, I want people to remember my name and my legacy to be not because of what I've done or because of the scope of my life and the size of my life and how big my church was. No, no, no. I want it to be God did something in him. God did something in him. That was a man who was faithful to God. He just followed God. He just followed him, and he left the fruit. He left the outcome to God, and, and that's it. That's it. He didn't try to manipulate things to make his life seem more important and more valuable. No, he was just faithful. He was faithful, and God did something in him. That's the kind of God we want. That's the kind of God we need, not just a God who is with us, but a God who is in us, a God who does something in us. And as we put our faith and as we put our trust in him, he does more and more things in us. He changes us. He changes who we are for the better. Don't you want that to be your life story? Don't you want to be marked as someone who was faithful and just left the fruit to God, just left the outcome to God? Think about this. I I just saw this quote the other day, and I loved it. The early Christian martyrs, the early Christian martyrs, the people who were torn apart for their faith in Jesus because they refused to bow down. The people, we like to fancy ourselves martyrs nowadays. These were people who we know from early Roman history that what uh, Emperor Nero would do is that he would take Christians, have them tied to poles uh, in his garden, have them lathered with oil, and then would set them on fire while they were still alive to provide light as he would take evening strolls through his garden. That's how Christians were treated. That's persecution. That's the kind of martyrdom they faced. And you want to know what's so interesting about that is the early Christian martyrs never saw themselves as martyrs. You won't find any text, anything in scripture about woe is me, look at what I'm going through. Woe is me. Man, I seem to be giving up my life for this this small little upstart religion that, I mean, who even knows if we're going to make an impact? You won't find it anywhere. These men and women marched to their deaths triumphantly, triumphantly, because they didn't care about the fruit. They couldn't care less about the fruit. All they cared about was being faithful. They didn't care about the size of their life or the scope of their life. They just wanted to be as faithful as they could to what God had called them to do. And because, because they cared about being faithful, we're here. <laughs> the church still exists 2,000 years later, strictly because men and women did not care about the fruitfulness of their lives, but the faithfulness of their lives. And because they were faithful, God used that, and he built his church through the centuries, through the millennia, and here we are today. We're the fulfillment of that promise, that it doesn't matter how small and how insignificant what you're doing seems at the moment, God is building something. He is doing something. And so how dare we in our own lives think that we're so small, we're so insignificant, nothing good can come from this, I'm never going to make a difference. You have no idea what your faithfulness can do. You have no idea the fruit that can come out of your faith if you will just trust God and continually, just continually trusting in him, just making the one-time decision, you know what, I'm just for the rest of my life going to believe that God is good and just filter everything that ever happens through that. And I'm just going to continue to be faithful, just going to continue to be faithful, and I'll see what God does with it. You will be blown away at what your life looks like. You will be blown away at the impact your life will have. Don't you dare think you're insignificant. (laughs) Don't you dare think you're worthless. You have no idea what God wants to do through you and in you. Let's pray real quick, all right? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who chooses the weak things of the world to confound the strong. That you are a God who specifically looks for those who, who are downcast, who are fallen, who are insecure, who feel insignificant, and you choose to work through them. Man, God, that gives me confidence because I know how often I can get into that place. God, help all of us to remember that our lives, as long as they are faithful to you, will never be insignificant. They will never be small. That we, like the city of Bethlehem, can be remembered not for the size and scope of our life, but for our faithfulness. That we were a person who God moved in. And that in us and through us, we were able to leave a mark on our families, on our friends, on our workplaces, on our communities, on our neighborhoods, in our church. God, we want that to be true of us. So help us through the power of your spirit to remain faithful to you, faithful to your calling on our lives as we leave this place today. Help us to take what we have learned, to apply it in our lives, to be faithful people who never, never, never minimize the impact of our life and never minimize the impact of just simple daily obedience because we know you work wonders through just a simple yes. We love you so much, Father, and we pray all this in your name. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.